0: Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Luke 23, verse 26, to the end of the chapter. soldiers led him away they seized Simon from Cyrene who was on his way in from the country and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them daughters of Jerusalem do not weep for me weep for yourselves and for your children for the time will come when you will say Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, They crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others, let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. Who hung there hurled insults at him. Today you will be with me in paradise. It was noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness the sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now there was a man named Joseph, A member of the council, a good and upright man, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea, and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Hear the word of the Lord.
1: Scriptures want us to be sure. Listen to this verse from 2 Peter, chapter 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Or from Hebrews 10.22. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Or Paul in Romans 8.1. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ. Or these words from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. God wants us to be sure. And Luke's gospel is the gospel of knowing for sure. Even if the characters we meet are themselves confused. Luke's gospel is the gospel of knowing for sure. So in this story of Christ's last week, or even this story of Christ's crucifixion, often called the passion, Luke's goal is to help us be yet more sure. He doesn't highlight Christ's pain, or Christ's prophecies. It might be called the passion. You might think that means that Christ is passive. But no, Luke wants us to know God's plan. Christ makes no protest. He does not say in Luke's gospel, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he does proclaim the meaning of his own death. Luke's gospel, this passion narrative, are given to us so that we might know for sure. And we have. Brothers and sisters, one more Easter that God might train us to be confident in the Lord we follow. So in this longer passage, I want us to look at the three sentences that Jesus spoke from the cross. These three words that we might know for sure why he dies. We learned yesterday from Megan in the text she preached that Jesus is continually referred to as the innocent one. He was an innocent sufferer, both Pilate and Herod assume that. But nonetheless, as the innocent sufferer, he's horrendously punished physically. And the crowds mock. But despite that awful, awful context, Jesus prays in 23 34 Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. Jesus himself is not taking revenge on his enemies. He'd taught his disciples in Luke chapter 6 to pray for those who persecute them. Yeah, when Jesus prays, Father, forgive them, he's not referring merely to the Roman soldiers. He doesn't draw attention to the Jewish leaders. He doesn't mention the mocking crowds. He just says, Father, forgive them. It's an indiscriminate offer. He's not only saying some words in his own death, he's achieving the forgiveness for the world that he spoke about. Daisy Ryle says so beautifully, as soon as the blood of the great sacrifice began to flow, the great high priest began to intercede. He's praying for us, even as he's dying. Forgiveness is central to Christ's mission. He names it on the cross we're asked in the Lord's Supper to remember forgiveness of sins and Jesus in teaching us the Lord's Prayer teaches us to forgive others as we ourselves have been forgiven and Jesus prays Father forgive them he's offering us something And he's making us more sure of his teaching and the meaning of his life. But it's not just that Jesus prays, Father, forgive them. Verse 43, he says, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There'd been a conversation between the thieves next to Jesus on the cross. One of them had been more clearly mocking Christ, but the other wasn't so sure that he should be mocked and draws attention to the fact that he's done nothing wrong, though the criminals themselves certainly had. One of them mocks him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then that criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom sometime in the future. Whenever it would be, just merely remember me, please. Jesus' response is breathtaking. Truly, I tell you, when Jesus begins his sentence with that, you pay attention, amen, amen, he says. Today, today, today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus' first word from the cross had been a plea, a prayer for forgiveness. This word from the cross is a promise of assurance. It wouldn't be later in the distant future that this criminal would enter paradise. It would be today with Jesus Now, there's nothing else for you to do. You are completely ready to join me there. Evangelical Christians have more and more, in my noticing, described those who've died as resting in peace, resting in peace and then rising. But actually, if we take this verse and the Christian tradition more seriously, we should recognise that when we die, we're not resting in some unconscious sleep-like state. We're living to God more consciously than we've ever been. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. He immediately, upon death, enjoy the presence of the Lord Jesus. Paul picks up this in 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, we might have shed the tent, which is our body. And in a crazy way, without our body, we'll be enjoying the Lord directly, immediately, eternally, once we die. What assurance to this thief. What assurance to us. Not even after you die will there be any moment that you're not aware of Christ's loving arms. Jonathan Edwards wrote, departed souls of saints are with Christ as they enjoy a glorious and immediate intercourse and converse with Him, Jesus wants us to be more sure, not just that in dying he forgives us, but that he promises us that kind of life for you. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. The sun had stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this he breathed his last. Darkness had enveloped the land, the temple, the temple veil was torn in two. And not with a small, soft, weak voice, but with a loud voice, an energetic voice, Jesus prays this prayer of trust. He does not say here that he's been abandoned. He is not here just resigned. He makes a decision. He gives over his soul to his kind father. dies. Jesus in John's Gospel describes this very moment in chapter 10 in these ways. No one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Jesus decides to die. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus knows that in going to Jerusalem, he'd be handed over into the hands of sinful men. Now he hands himself over to the hands of his loving Father. Jesus experiences deep peace. And the centurion, standing by watching, says this, surely this was a righteous man. And all the people who'd gathered to witness this sight saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who'd followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. There's no chaos, no confusion for Christ. He's in control not a passive victim, but actively surrendering his life. This is the gospel of Luke. This is the gospel of knowing for sure. This was God's plan. Not an accident. In these three words from the cross... Father, forgive them. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. We learn that forgiveness and assurance and peace are ours. He is the king. He's running this world. He's the one who even in these last moments wants to give us a gift. The king suffers scorn. The king defeats evil. The king substitutes himself for sinners. The king opened the gates of glory. And the king changes history in large ways and in small. Listen to these words from Corrie Ten Boom in Ravensburg, the concentration camp where she and her sister were imprisoned. Fridays, the recurrent humiliation of medical inspection. The hospital corridor in which we waited was unheated, and a fall chill had settled onto the walls. Still, we were forbidden even to wrap our arms, uh, wrap ourselves in our own arms. We had to maintain our erect, hands at sides position, as we slowly flowed past a phalanx of grinning guards. How there could have been any pleasure in the sight of those stick thin legs and hunger bloated stomachs, I could not imagine. Truly, there's no more wretched sight than the human body unloved and uncared for. Nor can I see the necessity for the complete undressing. When we finally reached the examining room, a, a doctor looked down each throat another, a dentist presumably at our teeth, a third in between each finger, and that was all. We trooped again down the long, cold corridor and picked up our X-marked dresses at the door. It was one of those mornings while we were waiting, shivering in the corridor, that yet another page in the Bible leapt into life for me he hung naked on the cross. I had not known, I had not thought, the paintings, the carved crucifixes showed at the least a scrap of cloth. But this, I suddenly knew, was the respect and reverence of the artist. That at the time itself, on that other Friday morning, There'd been no reverence. No more than I saw in the faces around us now. I leaned towards Betsy, ahead of me in the line. Her shoulder blades stood out, sharp and thin beneath her blue mottled skin. Betsy, I said, they took his clothes too. Of me, I heard a little gasp. Corey, I've never thanked him.